Hi, everybody. It's Jean Nathan. This is Crosstown Conversations for the week of, let's see, Katrina anniversary, warnings about a new pandemic, um, the beginning of the fall season with all kinds of festivals, one after the other. You know, it's 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 that good and bad thing that we talk about a lot here. And um, it's our incredible, I think, creative resilience that just keeps us going no matter what. And um, I, I really wanted to focus this week's show on how powerful culture and the arts have been in, in, in fueling our resilience and our recoveries. Uh, and, and I don't think people pay that much attention to the connection. They appreciate the fact that the arts are there and that they continue, that we put you know, all kinds of sculptures on the neutral ground after Katrina, that the Jazz Fest, in fact, went forward, which is why I have Don Marshall with us today to open our program um, to talk about the, um, you know, the intentionality that it took to do that. That was not a slam, da- slam bang, thank you, ma'am, thing. That was something that took a lot of um, energy and commitment to make happen, because I remember you know, a lot of the conversations that was swirling around, will will they or won't they? And they did because of their will. And Don, um, I'd love for you to share with us. Don, of course, is the, is the executive director. I'm not sure. I never know whether people are CEOs, executive directors, presidents, all of the above for the Jazz and Heritage Festival. Previously, director of the Contemporary Arts Center, which gave him, I think, I hope, a, a little bit of a foundation for what was to come. So um, Don, talk to us a little bit about you know what it took and, and why in fact it happened that you guys were able to reopen Jazz Fest, which I think for everybody was a very important sign that we were gonna be okay. No, thank you for having me. I mean, it was amazing having experienced it firsthand that immediately after Katrina, uh, we started to receive a lot of offers from different cities. Um, Atlanta, Dallas, Birmingham, others uh, offering to host Jazz Fest. Mm. And, you know, that was right after Katrina. And it was sort of I like, don't think well, I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like, well, I mean, the, the, the fairgrounds was basically decimated. I mean, it was flooded and, you know, the buildings ruined and everything. And, you know, early on, say in December, no one really knew if we could do a Jazz Fest. Uh, but there was a determination that we must. Um, and as things sort of dried out, plans started to be made. One of the big challenges that I think people don't really appreciate or understand is the challenge of the staffing of Jazz Fest. Uh, you know, all the workers who had been working for Jazz Fest, uh, producing the stages, all the different activities, you know, had lost their homes. So they were living in different parts of the yeah. country. So it was a real, real effort by festival productions and Quint Davis and his staff to come back together. All, all of them had to be put up in hotels at the Sheraton or wherever. Oh, wow. And so there was a huge challenge there. Um, but there was a real determination that, you know, we must do this. We must be part of the rebuilding um, of the culture, of the music scene, and let the world know that we are still here. 
And it was phenomenal to see a response of a lot of the national musicians. I mean, for example, Bruce Springsteen came and gave a, a memorable performance. And the great thing about Jazz Fest, it's a celebration of our culture, our food and our music and bringing people back to New Orleans, a lot of them for Jazz Fest, as well as those head who had been fortunate enough to be able to move back. Um, it was like a, a huge reunion of people who love our culture and seeing people cry when they saw friends that they hadn't seen since Katrina and just the hugs and the love. I mean, there was a great, great deal of love and celebration that went on for that first jazz fest. It was amazing. But it took, um, it, 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 it was more than just saying, Hey, y'all come home because uh, there was a lot of moving parts. You had to raise the, the funds. Uh, to do it. And I'm sure that that wasn't as, as easy as coming after some great year where you made a lot of uh, money on a big audience. I mean, it was it was difficult to to make that message that, hey, it's OK, we'll be OK, you know, help us out. Am I right? Definitely, definitely. And one of the great things was that, you know, uh, it, it's a big financially, it's a huge uh, commitment for Jazz Fest. It's a very expensive production. And the unknowing of whether or not people would even come and, you know, all the other costs that were involved in sort of rebuilding the whole Jazz Fest. Um, we were very, very fortunate that Shell Oil came on at that time as our, our first really presenting sponsor. And I think a lot of it was because Shell had been in New Orleans, uh, still had a, you know, a reduced presence, but uh, basically Shell being a Dutch company, they realized the devastation that a flooding, you know, hurricane can can cause, and they really came to the aid of the city by, you know, uh, putting up the funds to really help restart Jazz Fest. It, it's one thing to to feel the the passion to come back and and welcome people and and revive the love. Um, wait, it says processing. Please wait. What does that mean? Oh no, that's something, that's just junk, I'm sorry. Okay, so, hold on just one second. Get extraneous stuff off here, make sure we are recording. Um, oh, oh, mute, am I muted? No, okay, sorry. Um, so, Torin, here's where we pick back up. Three, two, one. Uh, it's one thing to to know that people are so passionate about Jazz Fest, um, producers, performers, and audience all um, that that you felt confident that this was going to work. But it, it took a lot of work to get the financial and general infrastructural support to actually open the doors. So tell me about that. I mean, basically just getting all the, the things back up and running. I mean, certainly ticket sales. I mean, how, how people do that. Um, and just, you know, all the different vendors that we use. It was amazing. You, you have to think about all, like, say, uh, the musicians in a music group. They're musicians living in different parts of the country and having to come back together for the first time to perform. The food vendors, I remember... Um, having special meetings where we funded some of the food vendors uh, through some grants to help them get back together. They had lost all of their equipment. 
and wow. their staffing. So uh, every, I mean, Jazz Fest is very, very complex and with so many different moving parts to it that each area was negatively impacted. I mean, I can remember the New York Times article about will the, the Mardi Gras Indians survive? And you had that whole situation where also they were spread out. Uh, fortunately, through the Norman Dixon Fund, which the festival basically administers, where we pay for the, uh, the feathers and the beads for different Mardi Gras Indian tribes, uh, we were able to sort of help get that back alive. But that was a you know, very uh, amazing to see on the front page of different uh, newspapers around the country, you know, Mardi Gras Indians reappearing, even at, at Mardi Gras. But it took a lot of people and a lot of dedication to sort of put, you know, Humpty Dumpty back together again. And yeah. uh, with all the moving parts, it was a real challenge. It reminds me, actually, uh, when you were saying that of the time uh, with the World's Fair, when we had a financial crisis and, um, you know, there was a lot of hand wringing about would the fair open? And that actually that just that question was crushing. It really, really took uh, had an impact and made it very hard for um, the, the, the fair to go forward. I remember so clearly you know, having to deal with the PR side of it, it was a lot of damage control was going on, but um, you didn't quite have that. I mean, I think that there was, there was a sense of faith on, on the part of people around the country, not just the folks who were coming in, you know, again, the, the participants, but also the audience that it was going to happen. I mean, I think you've got that message out. I think that's the, the critical thing. It was very symbolic. I mean, the fact that New Orleans could do this Again, I mean, after, you know, just people seeing in horror just what Katrina did to the city, city underwater. And it's, it's a real testament to the people of New Orleans and our cultural community to have been able to rebuild that quickly uh, with that kind of commitment to really make sure that our unique culture will survive and thrive. I think also the fact that it did open probably contributed to attracting a lot of the people who moved here to help with the rebuilding. We had this huge influx of, of creatives. And, and uh, I know people love to talk about the, um, hello, <laughs> got them for change, got them off. That's an achievement um, uh, that we were, you know, really uh, uh, the, the fact that that opened was um, kind of a, a signal to people that uh, we were going to make it. And so it, it encouraged people to come here to help. And then once they came here to help, as we all know, that that process of how many people said they came here for Jazz Fest and never went home, set for their belongings to come back and, and stay here forever. And so we did have that. We are now a little bit challenged with, um, I think the pandemic has worn us down quite a bit. And, uh, and so we have, I think of, of late, uh, I don't, nobody knows the numbers yet, but we, we have lost some folks in, in, in recent, um, I would say months and maybe a couple of years. And, and so I think right now there's a concern that we, uh, again, will survive the pandemic, which has hit everybody hard, not just us, but everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. 
um, that that will again emerge from this. And uh, I think, again, those of us who went through that emergence have the faith that we can get through it again. Don't you agree? Oh, totally. I mean, it was amazing after Katrina and certainly Jazz Fest promoting to the cultural community around the world that New Orleans was alive and basically we needed your help. I mean, I was impressed with so many young creatives moving to New Orleans uh, right after Katrina. We had a dynamic theater scene going bigger than we'd ever had before. Um, you had musicians, uh, a lot of the, the, the young musicians who are really into traditional jazz moved down here. Uh, new performers emerged, and there was this sense of renewal. And I think you, know, you mentioned the pandemic, the, the, the whole Jazz Fest experience. I mean, we were canceled that month of the first month of the pandemic, and then, you know, kind of played around with, we're going to move it, we'll do it in October. And then that got canceled. And then we did, you know, another cancellation. But I think the, uh, the emergence of Jazz Fest post pandemic was similar in sort of like, this is, a, this is a sign that we are again, alive, rebuilding and thriving. And it's, it's a slow process of sort of bringing everybody back together. And, you know, now we're back to normal in a sense, but very similar situation post-pandemic and post-Katrina, that we were very, very much instrumental on promoting the fact that this cultural community and music community is alive and thriving. And needless to say, it wasn't just the Jazz Fest. I mean, the sure. uh, Loop Tarp, I call it the Blue Tarp Parade, the, our first Halloween parade, that was uh, going forward. That was another signal that, yes, we were going to be okay. And, and everybody in their Blue Tarp costumes, I mean, that was just phenomenal, hilarious and, and phenomenal. And uh, as you mentioned, the Blue Tarp fashion show that um, it was really America's Wetland that put that on and that, that uh, Antoine's of all places, it was a scream. And um, and uh, we did our, our share at the uh, uh, studios of Colton, taking over a school and filling all the classrooms with artists and arts organizations. I was happy that that happened. I think that had some effect. And all of these things combined, I think really contributed to um, a realization of the different ways that the creative economy works on behalf of a place, of a city. Well, I think you know, your reference to the whole studios at Colton, that was, that was phenomenal. You know, and again, would not have happened without Katrina. The fact that you were able to access this amazing school building and provide studio space for... Thank you, Paul Ballas. Yes, <laughs> yeah. thank you very much. But I mean, that was a, a, another kind of phenomenon that really, you know, was, was significant in that it was a real celebration, again, of, of the cultural community. And yeah. I mean, I love going there and visiting the studios and, and providing them a space to create and to perform and everything was very, very important to the sort of the rebuilding. But I think there are a lot of things that we can And then we had Prospect. Prospect. And, and let's yeah. not forget I mean, Mardi Gras post Katrina was one of the most yes. gorgeous. Yes. I mean, the, the costuming was so creative and it was really a, a, a thrilling experience to see everybody creatively participating in Mardi Gras for the first one after Katrina. Well, thank you. 
Don Marshall Jazz and Heritage Festival and all the musicians and creatives of New Orleans. Thank you very, very much. And thank you, Jean, for all that you do. Greatly right. appreciate Talk to you soon again, I'm sure. All right. Bye, Don. Bye-bye. Luther Gray is just one of the iconic, uh, to say musician is just not enough. And to say percussionist is not enough. To say um, a music leader is not enough. You have to say a cultural persona in the city who has been an important part of um, our, our cultural constituency, so to speak, in the community in New Orleans. And um, I really wanted to hear from Luther about those days after the storm and, and how he, quote, weathered them, um, and the storm being Katrina, of course, and, and, um, and how uh, in, independent individual music and other creative people were so much a part of reassuring us all that we were going to come back. I mean, it, I, I feel that it was the it was the creatives in town who who sent that the message that that we were going to be okay. We were going to make things happen. Parades started back up. Jazz fest started back up. But just individual efforts, and of course, Congo Square has been revived largely as a result of the things that that you Luther and friends and associates of yours in the creative fields have made happen. So tell me about those those initial days after the storm and how you got into realizing that you had a part to play in our recovery. Well, I know today is the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. I don't remember what year this is exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but- uh, It's 23. Uh, I, just, well, I just remember, you know, my, my first, uh, the, as we saw the the uh, the, the day before the, the, it really hit, you know, my family, my wife, and my two sons. So uh, whenever hurricanes would come, we would go. We would go to my wife's family who live in St. James Parish, you know, for a hurricane. Then we would pass and we come back home. So that day before Hurricane Katrina, we we got, we got in our we got put both of our cars, load things up, because forever to get to, to her parents' house. And you know, the next day we're watching we watching the the storm and everything. And then we realized by Wednesday, we, we had to just go ahead and put our kids in school in St. James Parish because they did a whole school year outside of New Orleans because we couldn't get back, you know. So I think the first months was just really getting ourselves together. We were sleeping on the floor with our relatives, you know, my wife's family on the floor. We finally got an apartment and all those things. So over time, uh, I was able, like you know, to connect with folks. As a matter of fact, I, with with uh, Guardians of the Flame, we got invited to go to Singapore, and we got invited to go to United Arab Emirates, India, and Sri Lanka. Wow! And so I didn't realize that. So Thanksgiving, we were like, we were overseas. Man, and so I was like, wow, man, this this was just crazy. We were like having a you know an exchange with you know with drummers from these other parts of the world. So th that was really an amazing 
experience for us as well, you know, just to, 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 to share cultures and then, you know, to, for them to, to open us, you know, to welcome us in open arms in other countries so, you know, we can, you know, we can share our culture. You know, we had, we went to Mardi Gras Indians and we went to drummers and we were with the indigenous, uh, you know, indigenous uh, culture bearers in those countries as well. So that's that's kind of what we did leading up to like Thanksgiving, Christmas, like around in that time. So I really didn't start really coming back down to the city till maybe later on, you know, as, as the beginning of the next year, as people started to, to, to do certain things and stuff like that. So you you join my memory this morning because I'm trying to think of myself, what were we doing? Because it was like maybe like a 40 mile drive to get to New Orleans. Yeah. So it would be if something was going on, I would come into the city, and then I would just go back, go back to St. James Parish. So, well, Luther, what was your what was your experience with indigenous culture bearers in other places in the world, like in relation to your own um, work? So that that had to be uh, quite an experience to to hear what other people were doing that was coming from their um, long time traditions as so much of our uh, our sounds, our culture um, has very long legs, so to speak, in, in, in the past. Well, I, I remember when we, when we were in India, we, uh, you know, we went to three different countries. So when we were in India, we were doing a, a, a concert and I think it opened up with a, a master tabla drummer from from India, and he was you know playing the the rhythms of India, the, the traditional rhythms and everything. And then it was like he must have had about four, five, six drummers. I mean, six Indians and myself. So, uh, so we we start performing, and uh, with the Indian drummer, he's drumming along with me. He's playing the tabla drums. I'm playing the djembe. And so one of the Indians, he uh he was doing he was doing you know how the Indians dance and stuff. He was doing all this, and all of a sudden he did something where he he raised his leg up like this, like real like slow motion, like you know like like. And so the whole audience, the audience, the audience said, oh. <laughs> and we look are we looking around like wow what what just happened. You know, like wow, man! Like what he was doing was not even something. It was like possible for anybody to do. So wow. that's you know how the uh, the cultures and our, of course, I think our you know I think our ancestors and our you know the traditions we have. But it was also one of those things where there was a hot, a higher kind of power going on, and all throughout that trip, it was just an amazing experience. When you got back and you're dealing with you know the um, constraints essentially of recovery. I mean, there were so many constraints. I mean, in, in every way, in every direction. Um, how did that, how did dealing with all of those challenges affect your music? And, and, and how did you uh, think about how the future of your and, and our uh, music in the city was going to evolve as a result of Katrina? And, and the well, pandemic I, also is a whole different ballgame, of course. But um, so yeah, things change. I, I think over time, you know, we were, we were establishing in communication with each other, like in the city. You know, I wasn't that far out of town, so whenever we would 
I would find out about something going on. I would come into the city. But another thing I did, uh, another thing I did was, you know, our, we lived in New Orleans East, so our, our homes just got completely flooded. So I spent like every day, every day I would drop my, my youngest child out of school, then I would go to the library and get on the, uh, on the computer until it was time to go pick him up to, from school. So I was applying to try to get, you know, FEMA money for our, to get, so we could get back in our home and just kind of contacting people. And so a lot of my time was like really like that. It was, it was, it was connecting with folks and really just trying to, you know, uh, just trying to get our, our family back into, into the city. But, you know, there were times when were, you know, people would say, man, you know, we're getting together to drum someplace or so I would get in my car, I would just come to the city. And sometimes I'd spend the night with somebody who had a place to stay, and then I'd come back home the next day. But I, I think you, I think you just said the New Orleans culture is, is so is so powerful that people are not going to you know stop doing what they're doing once they got past just survival. And you know, and, and I think that looking back on it over all these years now, we were like you know, it's just amazing that, that you know we still. We come back to New Orleans, and New Orleans is really, I think, you know, we, we're going through different things now, but it's, it's not nothing like what Hurricane Katrina did. That's for yeah. sure. But um, you, uh, Congo Square has been ground zero since pre-colonial um, times. It was, it was ground zero for indigenous um, Native American, and, and, and actually a lot of people don't realize how many tribes from around the region, beyond our region, from Central America, uh, were part of our traditions too. So all of that um, has such, uh, again, such power. And, um, and, and here you are again, uh, keeping that flame alive, so to speak, at, at Congo Square. So tell me what you've been doing at Congo Square and how you see its future uh, place in, in uh, 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 our, our evolving culture as we evolve with all of these challenges. Oh, you know, we still gather on Sundays in Congo Square, like from three to five, but you know, it's been so hot. <laughs> so we out, we out there, we out there for two hours, that'll be good, you know, but we carry on that tradition every Sunday because like you say, it's a tradition that goes on with the indigenous people because they, they use that land as sacred ground because it was, it was where they planted their corn harvest. They, they planted corn and harvested corn in that area. And of course, you know, when people of African descent came, they, they gathered in that area as well. So uh, I think that, you know, we, we carry on that tradition and I think really was, and we, we've been going through, I think the other thing about, about Hurricane Katrina, you know, it, it was all these uh, theories that somebody blew the levees on purpose so they could take over the city. And so then, you know, you had developers coming in the city just taking over complete areas of the city, like, like in Chimay, that was like working class people, but it really didn't flood. But people came there and bought up a whole block and made an Airbnbs or something like that. So I think, you know, well, we're well, we're still recovering from those things. How you know how the people are bringing back our culture, and so we just like you said. I, I call those the post disaster, the post disaster disasters, and the post pandemic pandemics. Right, and then you know, then the the most recent one was the the attempted takeover of the municipal auditorium to make it into city hall. 
And that was just crazy. That, that's a crazy developer development right there. Like, what are they thinking? You know, what are they thinking? Thank God the, the community, the art community, and just, you know, really kind of really went, we're really won, have, we won that battle. And now we're at the table with the city to bring back the municipal auditorium and, the, and to bring back the whole uh, Louis Armstrong Park as well. So I think in that in those ways things look bright, and, and I think it's, it's it, it, the power came with us because we were just you know the drummers, the Indians, the, the baby dolls, you know yes everybody came together and we it must have been like it must have been like a thousand people just marched on the city city hall you know. <laughs> it so, was impressive. It caught my attention. It was like nothing I had seen happen here in New, in New Orleans since I, I came here. I, we came in 72 and um, there were a lot, there was a lot of um, housing in particular was a, a, an acorn was very active in those earlier years. But uh, I don't remember, and, and even with all of the Black Panther work and the civil rights movements, I wasn't here for civil rights. So I don't know if there were some really large, large protests. There was a lot of protest over time with the civil rights movement. But that protest for Armstrong Park, for me, was the first time I saw that kind of really powerful, natural um, uh, hitting the streets to, to um, exert uh, some influence on the people in power and say, excuse me, that's not what we feel we need here. Right. Thanks, thanks to the organizing of the Save Our Soul Coalition, which was comprised of all kinds of artists from around the city and, and, and activists as well. So, you know, the power of the people in New Orleans is, 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 is amazing. And uh, I think that, that, like you say, as we, 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 we're looking at today, looking back at Hurricane Katrina, but like we, we're really also looking towards a really bright future, especially for our children, because we really see what I see with young people here, you know, you know, the schools, you know, that was the other thing too. The, the, the Hurricane Katrina gave the, the city, the state was able to take over the whole uh, school system, which was a was which was a black owned, you know, it was a black led uh, school system, and uh, and it, it was the schools where every, the teachers knew the kids and they knew their parents, but you know when when the Hurricane Katrina came, then they they looked, you know, they brought in these schools from around the country. Yeah, and, and so they just just displaced people because it was a land grab, you know, and so I think our children have. Oh, it was a job grant, grant. A, right. a job a grab. Right. So, so I think we, we really we we're looking forward to the Louis Armstrong Park and to me and all all around the city to help our young people find what their gift is in school. They said the most, you know, the fourth grade they came here with the leap test, and if you don't pass the leap test, you can't go to fifth grade. If you get to eighth grade and you can't pass the lead class, you can't go to ninth grade. Well, they said the, one of the most important years is the fourth grade. So they said one of the most important things you can, that, that you can learn in the fourth grade is what do you want to be when you grow up? So that you, you so you now you have a path for what you want to learn in school. Rather you just being you being forced to learn something you don't know even want to know it. And it, what does it mean to me? I'm in the fourth grade, and if I don't pass this test, how come I can't go to the fifth grade? So I think you know we got so much culture here, and so so much so much people strength. Like you said, I think that the, that our, our culture is kind of really rebounded, 
and it's getting stronger. And we really got to look out for our next generation of people, of young people. I thank you so much for what you do and your group. And 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 uh, say again, because I don't think everybody realizes that you're there in Congo Square every Sunday, three to five. Yeah, we out there every Sunday from three to five or three to six. It just depends on what time of the year it is. And okay. we have drums there. And we just invite people. You have children out there. You have people from the neighborhood. You have people from around the world. And you just never know who's going to show up. But what we do is we do three things. We drum, we dance, and we honor our ancestors. And so that's really what Congo Square is all about. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks and for, I know thanks it's going to continue forever. Thank you so much. Now we have Jackie Harris, who... I guess I've known since about 1995. I mean, I knew of her before then, but we worked together under Mark Morial's administration with the early days, the originating days of the mayor's office of then called Tourism, Arts and Entertainment that became the Cultural Economy Office, which survived to today. It still exists and, and they're actually doing what should happen and giving money out to uh, culture bearers and other creatives. So it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, but I wanted to talk to Jackie because uh, she, um, like so many, um, came in after um, Katrina um, to stimulate and encourage, um, especially our young people, uh, to understand and develop their creative um, abilities, which is so critical to the city's future. So I, I really wanted, Jackie, for you to tell us about I know that you had to evacuate, but um, tell me about your return and, and what you felt was important to do to help um, our cultural life survive that, that disaster and since then. Well, let me say that um, my returning to New Orleans was a shock. I had, although of course, I was away. I evacuated to New York the day before the storm. And, you know, we saw all of what we saw on television and we knew it was a reality. But until you really stepped into the city to see the devastation, it was just very hard to imagine. And uh, I was living in Treme at the time. But my house wasn't underwater, but it had lots of water in it because I had major uh, roof damage. And uh -huh. what I do remember is just the smell of mildew. I mean, it was that, you know, and that, you know, it was hard. Every, it, it was quiet, no trees, no animals, no children, no, no birds, no anything. And, and there was no smell of green. You had the smell no. of but there no. was no green smell. No, no. But what I realized is after I got over the shock that in order for, for New Orleans to come back, we had to try to uh, grab and latch on to whatever reality and whatever was familiar to us, we really needed to do that. And I realized that if I was that, uh, well, I guess, devastated, how the children must have felt. And so I also realized then that we had to do the Louis Armstrong Summer Jazz Camp. Mm 
because the the children, well, the parents needed it, but the children really, really needed it. And uh, we, as far as I know, was the only summer program that opened its doors uh, to kids. And what we uh, really had it at, um, oh God, was it Noka on Perrier Street, uh, which was the only, it was uptown, okay? I think Noka was, had, was in there uh, at that time. Um, Nelson Medard, uh, Medard Nelson Elementary School, where we had been having the camp, had been under water, and so we did have it uptown. Um, we had a large number of kids. Uh, 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 most of our instructors were there. Uh, both Bat and Clyde were still alive then, and so they were there. We had to get Mr. Rainey to uh, prepare a uh, lunch and bring in meals for both the kids, the students and the faculty. And um, it was just, I, I got probably as much out of doing the camp as the kids did who really did it. And I remember one of the students, I'm not gonna call her name, but she cried every day. Wow. She didn't want, well, she didn't want to be left there. And she was an older young lady uh, in middle school, but she cried every day. And her grandmother asked if she could come and sit in camp with her. And we said, no, we're all, all of us are in this together. The kids are in this together. And we are going to console each other through the music and through our love for each other. And that's what we did. Yeah, and um, I, I think um, if we could just tell people uh, a minute about uh, the um, uh, the jazz class in general and what you've been doing over the years. How many years have you been doing that now? 29 years. There will be 30 years when? next year. Oh, my God. I yeah. didn't realize it was that yeah, long. That's wow. the, you know, and when I look at the alumni, um, Jonathan, Baptiste, Troy, Shamar, Allen, Big Sam, uh, Courtney, Bryant, uh, just, you know, uh, Joe Dyson, just Courtney, Bryant. I mean, I could go on and on because we've probably served about 2,000 kids, you know. Yeah. I, for some reason, just like parents, you keep thinking of your your kids and I keep thinking of them as children. And, you know, and I'm I'm thinking they're still in their 20s and these guys are th past 30 years old. <laughs> right. Wow. And so, uh, yeah, a lot of time, you know, has really passed. But uh, due to the uh, board, because in two in 2000, a uh, Sybil Moriel who is, had served as president from that point on. Um, we formed a board and they've really been, they've earned, you know, and identified funding to keep the camp going. Yeah. Uh, Marlon Guzman is on the board, Vaughn Fourier, just, you know, the jock, uh, you, you see the same people who, who are doing the work now, they're still doing the work. I mean, look at you, Gene. We all, we've been in this together. Yep. And uh, when we think about doing activities and things, we know who we can call and we know who are going to say yes. Yeah. 
And, you know, that is what we do. But I'm happy that there are some young people who are, are working. And that's going to be the future of this work and of the city is uh, young people stepping up. And they are some. And uh, you and as you know, you and I were talking uh, if we call young people 30 and 40 year, you know, if yeah. they're 40 years old, they're like, oh, yeah. well, my, my no, husband always teases people. My husband always teases people who are even for us now in the 70s and say, oh, just a baby. I know, <laughs> I know. When you hit, I mean, I, 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 I know that you're the same astrological sign as me. I don't remember what day, but um, my birthday was on, uh, Sunday, and it was, let's just put it this way, multi-decade birthday. <laughs> and I couldn't quite get my arms around celebrating it, especially not in this heat. So if I do something, it'll be later in the fall. But yeah. um, I noticed a lot of people that I know have birthdays right around this. Uh, so yours is in, in September, but when it's is September, it exactly? It's September 19th. Oh, you're a real Virgo. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I'm sort of I, on the fringe of joke with my friends to say our parents were definitely busy in January. <laughs> right. It seems <laughs> that way. It right. seems nothing that way. else to do but stay inside, right? But um, so in addition to doing the Louis Armstrong um, uh, jazz camp for these young folks, and I'm sure that there are just endless stories. I would love to, I'm going to do a whole separate show on youth and, and education and, and, and music and the other creative fields. Because as I, I called around today um, to line this show up, I, I was getting a lot of information that uh, was beyond what I could handle in this show. So I'm going to do another show with it. But um, you've also been extremely important in this morphing, of a natural explosive street protest to plans for the municipal auditorium. And um, it evolved into a much more um, intentional effort to achieve what is the right thing for the park and the municipal auditorium, which is, that doesn't happen every day that a protest literally leads to some kind of a collaborative venture that achieves what a community wants. And I, I think it's a spectacular thing that has happened. And I know it's not over yet, so it's not over till it's over, but um, it, it definitely has been an evolution that I think is worth noting. And most, many, not most, but many, many of the people involved in this effort with you are creatives. So I credit creatives with change in the city, both responding to these crises that we've had, whether it was Katrina or the pandemic, but also to making sure that we do the right thing. So I want you to tell me how, what was a, a very dynamic, you know, street protest, as I said, very natural, very, um, it, it came together fast, but, and then it morphed into something more stable long-term. And I think that's a very, very important um, development. And I want you to share with us how that happened. Well, uh, let me say that this whole effort, it started off and it's continuing to be uh, uh, done by a, a coalition of people who represent 
organ some organizations and some were just concerned citizens. And it started off as actually having a love for Congo Square, Louis Armstrong Park, and the municipal auditorium. And I was concerned our concern was how is the city's history and our personal histories going to be affected by this change? And well, you know, sometimes change is good and change is great, but this change we felt was going to destroy or minimalize uh, our stories, the stories of all of the New Orleans citizens, because really, if you look back and we're talking about age, anyone who is probably 40 years old and above graduated in the municipal auditorium, probably had a recital in the municipal auditorium, went to a ball in the municipal auditorium, probably saw your first concert in the municipal auditorium, gambled in the municipal auditorium because oh. it was a casino, and saw sports activities in the municipal auditorium. So that speaks to the whole New Orleans at large community. And so people, they wanted information and they really didn't want to see that change take place. And so- So, so what you're talking about is the original um, idea that developed uh, in City Hall, I guess, for uh, the, the municipal auditorium to replace City Hall as it is uh, today. And um, again, that was that was an idea that you know might have had merit in in a location that was not so steeped in the cultural legacy and history of our city, and um, and so the the passion that erupted um, with the revelation of that concept was again as I, the word I use is explosive, yeah. but uh, but what's what's so impressive again is how that in, initial. Uh, protest, just plain cold protest, evolved into a working process that you're now in the middle of. Right. Well, and I go back again. It's 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 a credit to all of the people who are a part of this coalition and who are involved. You know, when have you ever seen the French Quarter and the Treme neighborhood residents come together about an issue? or about any about anything. I mean that the coalition includes community organizations, neighborhood organizations, arts org organizations, all you know, all kinds of people. And um what we've just done is come together with our uh, individual experiences and expertise, because if you are, are involved in those types of endeavors, you are involved in organizing. And we, you know, organized and brought people together who we had the same point of view. Now, I'm not saying that we don't differ in opinion uh, on a number of occasions, but we are able to reach consensus and we know what the mission is. And the mission is number one, Louis Armstrong needs to get what he deserves because he never did. They created the park. But now this is something I didn't realize. I might have mentioned this to you and probably people don't realize it. But Louis, the park has, has always been treated as a special events venue. 
It has no bathrooms. They were never bathrooms built. And <laughs> I think about it. If you go to the park and don't go in a venue for an event, if you are there outside, you go to a portalet. Oh my goodness. No, I, no, I did not realize that. I didn't. I didn't until somebody, we were in a meeting one day and somebody says, well, you know, the first thing they need to do is uh, get some bathrooms. I say, what do you mean? They, and she said, there's no bathrooms. I says, you're right. So the question is, was the park ever created to be a for destination people. for families and people. You know, I was around at the very beginning of that, um, Jackie, when it, it really started under uh, Moon Landry's administration. Right. And, and, and his intention was for it to be a, actually a very elaborate, special uh, public venue modeled after something called the Tivoli Gardens right. that I, I know is in Scandinavia, I forget which country, maybe Denmark. Um, and it never, it never happened. It just no. didn't get off the ground. No. And so it, it really has over these years, except for the concerts in Mahalia Jackson and, and in uh, the Municipal Auditorium and the use of it by WWOZ, it never reached the potential ideas that were there. So that brings me back to kind of what I, I think is the key um, point that I, I think is so important about what is, is happening. And um, it's, it's, it's not just what you're doing for the park and for Louis Armstrong and for people to enjoy it uh, the way it was meant to be enjoyed as a, again, a iconic um, reminder of the, of the history and always the evolving originality of our culture. I feel that what you've done is a model, what, not you personally, but your group and, and people who have come together in this effort are convinced that it's important to really um, see that as a model, not just in and of itself for what it's doing in Armstrong Park, but this is how you achieve change through consensus, through community, through, as you said, really aiming for the mission. Uh, and, and that's what why I wanted to make sure you got on this show, which is 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 literally about how New Orleans has dealt with its 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 crises and its disasters through the resilience of our creative community. Correct. I mean, um, you know, I've always said that artists are the voice of the people you know, and what they do either uh, visually or uh, through music or spoken word or whatever means and ways that they communicate the thoughts, the desires, the wishes, and the experiences, whether they are uh, fun or sad, they communicate that to the world. And New Orleans has done an excellent job of doing that. And so where we are uh, here with this particular project is bringing the arts community, bringing neighborhoods, bringing all of the representation from all of the people of New Orleans with the city of New Orleans to create something that not only speaks, tells our story, but also to give people, oh, I'm sorry. 
to give people an opportunity to really reap some benefits from the arts and cultures of New Orleans because we are tired of hear of hearing about starving artists. Yes. So New Orleans artists, visual and the performing artists should be able to make a decent income. Right. And the design people and the film people too. I, I say Yeah, and film I, I tried to about all. Yeah, all the creative pursuits. Right. Well, Jackie, you've been a part of this um, on so many levels. Um, I, I have had um, in recent years a little bit more of a struggle financially than I expected in raising money in a, in a city that is not one of the richest cities in the world. We know that. Um, but I, I think that um, there are so many of us uh, in, in the creative sector who are so determined and, and intentional about making things happen. I'm just um, so... Um, pleased to be able to uh, face, be sort of face to face with you and talk to you in person. And um, please um, always keep us in mind and let us know what you're doing so that we can um, always put it in our newsletter and our radio show. I've got quite a few people that have come to talk on the show this week. So um, I'm about out of time, but I just want to ask you if there's some closing thought that you want to share with us about um, anything about the park and the city and, and your own uh, life and commitment in it? Well, we're working with the city to create a master plan uh, for the park, which is going to, it's going to be driven by what the citizens told us that they want to see in the park. And we really commend, as you mentioned, what started off as uh, a, a, a real strong difference of opinion now, it, that has brought both parties together, sitting around the table, working to figure out how to make this thing work and how to t take it to the prominence uh, that it deserves. And uh, we will be uh, raising money. We will be engaging uh, citizens and artists to work with us in a, an advisory capacity to create this plan. So uh, if you, I'm sure you will be called and anybody who is called and asked to really work with us, please consider. I know volunteer work is rough and it's sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's demanding, but we can't. it's rewarding. Yeah, but we can't do it without you, you know? Yeah. Okay. And we all, we all have to have a word or period on the line that describes this, we deserve it because we spent our lives here in New Orleans and we want to see all of this come to fruition with the wishes and the appreciation and and of the citizens and doing what they want us to do. Thank you, everybody who is working on this and on so many other creative initiatives in the city. Um, it's, it's, it's all about the future of this part of the world. And I believe it will lead to us finally realizing our potential as a, one of the leading creative centers on the whole globe. Thank you, Jackie Harris. And thank you, everybody else who's been involved in helping. And, um, and listen, um, y'all, thank you for yet another year in, in this city and in my um, life. Uh, as I said, I had a multi, um, multi-decade <laughs> date this weekend with uh, my life. And um, um, maybe if there's a minute uh, when we edit the show, we'll have a little happy birthday song for me and other Virgos. Oh, up. definitely. 
Okay. We'll okay. see if, if he can fit it in. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, All let right. me know. All right. And thank you, Jean, for having thank me. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you're here. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. And bye-bye to everybody. We'll talk next week. Bye-bye.